Okay, so as we start, um, I want you to be aware. Let's see if we can get this to go here. Okay, now, here's what we have been studying in church history to this point. That as the church in its beginning stages was getting to roll, there were questions about how to do something, how to handle things. Joseph would have questions. Uh, the Lord would provide answers. And so from 1828 on, we have these dictated revelations and instructions. Joseph would have a question, he would ask the Lord, the Lord would then give him a revelation, it would flow through Joseph, he would pull up his scribe, he would dictate it to the scribe, the scribe would write it down uh, there, he would look at it. Remember that in the early days the brethren would carry around these handwritten copies of these revelations because to be honest with you they would they would listen to Joseph uneducated raw bone Joseph and they would read the revelations and they would go this ain't the same guy the one who is speaking in this revelations is not this guy in front of us and they would go so we believe that this is coming directly from God because we see Joseph <laughs> basically so for instance um, Joseph goes to John Whitmer and he says, I, I want you to scribe for me. And John says, no, nah, I'm not really willing to do that time-wise unless you can give me a revelation. Okay, so let me give you the revelation. Then he slows down, he dictate, dictates it to John Taylor, he writes it down at the end of it. John, Taylor, or John Whitmer goes, okay. <laughs> Okay, because it's different. So, so we get, that's this pattern. And, and we get, so all through the beginning of the church then, we get these, this uh, process all the way to about 1841. Of here come the dictated revelations. They're written down. And then we can access them and look at them and share them with one another. And then we can put, bind them into the book of commandments. And then into the doctrine and covenants. And, and then even now we still draw on those revelations, right? Well, something happens right around 1840-1841. A lot of the instruction has been given. Joseph has had Liberty Jail experience. Uh, he actually then, right after Liberty Jail, he goes off to Washington to try and, and uh, get help for the Missouri Saints. He gives a massive speech in Philadelphia. And all at once these words are pouring out of Joseph and he's more eloquent than he ever has been in any time during his ministry. And, and they're just stunned in Philadelphia and they're coming in droves and he's preaching in Washington and all over the place and in New York. And then he comes back to Nauvoo after all of that experience and now something has changed. Joseph begins to speak for himself. And he begins to speak in, in, uh, in Sunday services in the groves, or two major groves. Um, he would speak in the groves, he would speak in meetings, he would stand up in minutes of Nauvoo, uh, uh, city council meetings. He's just preaching. And now suddenly what we're getting is a whole different deal. That this we begin to get an expanded doctrine. But instead of coming in dictated revelations to a scribe, they're actually coming in the form of talks and speeches. 
Um, and and what, what we now get up until the, the point that he dies, we get an explosion now of he's giving this information out, but we're not getting hardly any revelations dictated that end up in our Doctrine and Covenants. So we get just a, just a very few in the Doctrine and Covenants now. Most of the doctrine you've got to find in other places, speeches. For instance, if we were going to talk about probably the most famous uh, Joseph Smith speech of all, anybody guess what that might be? The King Follett Discourse. It's given in March 1844, a couple months before he dies. Um, when, when Joseph Smith stands up, this is kind of the penultimate speech of doctrinally. He just puts it all out. Here's the whole program. And it's huge. And, and it's out there. And there are 3,000 people listening to this thing in a rainstorm. There are four scribes writing down quickly what it is that he's saying, but none of them know shorthand. So what we have recorded for us in the King Follett Discourse is coming from cobbling together four different scribes writing down the information of this landmark talk in Nauvoo. If you sit down and read it today, you can read the entire King Follett Discourse in about 40 minutes, 30 or 40 minutes, maybe. The talk went for three hours. <clears throat> three hours. So you think about how much we have, and the King Follett Discourse is a, is a massive amount of information. But three hours of information means that there was two and a half hours of information that we don't have. Because the scribes just couldn't write fast enough in a rainstorm to write down what he was saying. So there's the problem. So sometimes when we get doctrine that's rolling out of Nauvoo, and, so, and you're going to see some major jumps forward here, it's coming from Brigham Young, it's coming from Orson Pratt, it's coming from uh, Heber C. Kimball. I was in a meeting with Joseph Smith and he said this, or from the minutes of the Nauvoo City Council, he stood up and said, and we're getting these little bits and pieces and we're trying to put this together. Uh, and in the midst of all of this, before he can just really kind of write all of this down, he now is on the run from uh, Missouri. Uh, he's, he's trying to handle a lot of problems. Administratively, he's buried. And then he's killed in 1844. So, so some of what happened, we're still... I think what we're going to find out here, there was a bunch of doctrine that was left undone. There was some loose ends... And that's going to cause 50 years worth of problems because that wasn't nailed down. Okay. Is that enough of a teaser? Okay. All right, so let, let's give you an idea how things are, are jumping ahead. Because there's a couple of things that we really need to have in our brain. Otherwise, you go, why in the heck did they do that? What, why are they doing that? What, how come Joseph? How come Brigham? What were they thinking? Where did that come from? Why would they think that was okay? What? What? Okay. If you understand, you got to understand where the context, then you're going to go, oh, it may not be how this church would do it now, but this is how they understood it in the 1800s. Okay. So, from the very earliest days, uh, Joseph began pushing back, which is remarkable because he was influenced, as were the converts, by Christianity, 
Traditional Christianity, even our wonderful uh, Christian brothers and sisters, tend to look at the Old Testament as the Old Covenant. And then when Jesus comes, we get the New Testament and the New Covenant. If you are a believing uh, Catholic or you're believing Baptist, what role does the Old Testament play for you? None. Other than they're great stories, they're faith promoting things that happen there. But all of that of the Old Testament, not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, all of those kind of things, well, and Daniel looking into the future, there's a lot of nice information there, great stories, but all of those covenants, all of those promises were all completed when Jesus came on the scene and, and all of that is eliminated. Does that make sense? So now we move forward with the New Testament and the Old Testament is over with. You're not going to put new wine in old bottles and so we're just starting, we're just going to roll forward, okay? And isn't that where they claim their authority and the Sola Scriptura, the, they claim their authority for their church? Yeah, the Sola Scriptura is, that our authority comes from the Scriptures. It comes from right what's in front of us here. It's actually more the Reformation thing that ultimately says, there was a covenant given and we can find it in the Scriptures. And it comes in faith in Jesus. Okay. Okay? Now, you would have thought that Joseph would have been influenced by that. He was not. In fact, from the very earliest days, we get Joseph's restored Christianity. And what he started to see right from the beginning was that there was only one covenant. It was the Abrahamic covenant and it was in place and that over time you had differing levels of knowledge and application uh, but it's still the same covenant. If I were to ask any group of Latter-day Saints and say, okay, do you think that we are more Christian or are we more Jewish? You'd go, do we, do we believe in the resurrection? The atonement? The cross? Grace? Yes. Do we believe in temples and Zion and Israel and and yeah. All of that stuff from the Old to Abraham matters to us as much as Paul matters to us. And it's all together. And Joseph from the beginning said everything that I'm doing is rooted in all of the prophets and what Jesus was actually doing was restoring the older covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that had kind of had a caretaker law, the law of Moses, for hundreds of years. But really it's the older thing that Adam had, that Noah had, that Moses had, that Abraham had, that Enoch had. So we're going to call ourselves saints, but we're also going to call ourselves Zion. And we're going to be the house of Israel. And we're going to have patriarchal blessings. And we're going to have the Melchizedek priesthood. So everything for him was one. 
It was all one piece. Does that make sense? Okay. So, and, and he's going to say it in section 128. Neither can they, meaning our ancestors, or we be made perfect without those who have died in the gospel also. It is necessary in the ushering of the dispensation of what? What fullness? The gospel. The gospel. Which gospel? Christian. Yes, and? Not just Christian. Jewish. Jewish. The whole thing. This is the dispensation of the fullness of times. Does that mean bringing back everything that Jesus did? Yes. The church that Jesus did? Yes. Did Enoch have something to offer? Did Elijah have something to offer? Did Abraham have... Yeah. The dispensation of the fullness of times is the whole program. And he sees it all as one. Okay? So he says that a whole and complete and perfect union and the welding together hang on to that word welding we're going to come back to that the welding together of dispensations keys and powers and glory should take place and be revealed from the days of Adam to the present time there it is it's all there okay not only this, but those things which have never been revealed from the foundation of the world, but have been kept from, hid from the wise and the prudent, shall be revealed unto babes and sucklings in this, the dispensation of the fullness of times. Wow! So, not only are we tying into the ancients, not only are we bringing forth every, the ancient church that Jesus established, but there is stuff. <laughs> there is new stuff that hasn't been revealed to any of them. And you're going to get it. Well, that's kind of heady. Okay. Now, so, so that, that's his mindset. We have to bring it all, and I've got to somehow give it to these saints... You're, you're the dispensation of the fullness of times. I'm the head of this dispensation. i got to give you this whole package. Okay? Alright, that makes sense. Now, how does that, how, what does that mean in operation? Without trying to get too complicated, because again, some of this is not just, we don't necessarily have tons of Joseph's teaching on this. We're just looking at practices and how they did it. This tells us what, where they were going with this. So literally, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to copy a little bit something we said a little bit last semester. That means that when, we, when they constructed the temple, and they were going to put in the temple an altar... That their understanding was that the celestial kingdom, that heaven, would be created on that altar. That the, the, the saving links tying us back to Adam, tying all the blessings that were supposed to be given, need, we need to be tied into a link and a chain of power and, and uh, family it was all going to be about family we have to tie into the family of Adam all the way forward and we will do it by forging links and if you and they literally pictured the altar in the temple like a, a forge like a blacksmith forge 
And we're going to, when somebody comes to the temple and we have a husband and wife, we're going to have them kneel across and, and as they're holding hands, like picture a, picture a uh, blacksmith forging that link and solidifying that thing. So now I'm not just tied here together, but now where are we tied into? Now we have to be linked to, it. When, once we're on this chain, this gospel family chain, we're going to tie in now to everything that's flowed from Adam and Elijah and everything coming forward. Does that make sense? Kind of a heady idea. Now, here's, here's where it begins to kind of open up a little bit. Okay? So if we're going to do that, how do we have connection with those that have passed? The good people. Because the Bible says they've got to be baptized. How are we going to take care of them? How do we somehow get them on this chain? Well, as we know, you know, he's preaching at the, um, at the funeral of uh, Seymour Brunson, good man, fought in the War of 1812. And, and Joseph is preaching and he looks down and there's this wonderful woman that he's aware of that's, that, that lost her son. And, and so she's a grieving mother at this funeral and he knows her. And it was in that setting. Uh, we're not sure whether I, we're not sure whether it was at the grove. I tend to think it was probably in the old burial ground. It's one of the reasons I love the old burial ground at, at, in Nauvoo. That he looks at her and says, "You can now be baptized for your son," and start and starts preaching that we don't have that talk. Nobody was taking notes of this funeral. But he begins to explain that those in this life can be baptized for and in behalf of relatives who have died. Okay? What does she do immediately as soon as the funeral's over? She grabs an elder, heads right down Parley Street, <laughs> right down to the Mississippi. Let's do this right now. <laughs> and and uh, Susan Easton Black has correctly said, I think, that the two most prominent activities in Nauvoo from that point on were baptisms and burials. Baptisms were on Tuesdays and Thursdays because there were so many, especially at the beginning. And baptisms. So now you have those points where you've got people, hundreds, and you have walking down into the Mississippi River, kind of Baptism Beach, which is just over a little bit from the bottom of uh, Parley Street, kind of on that side over there, Baptism Beach. And, and everybody's being baptized like crazy. No witnesses, men for women, women for men. But we are so enthused with all of this that we're just, suddenly this, is, this becomes, um, if you think about it, it's, it's one of the most wonderful, generous, merciful, doctrines that Joseph ever preached. So then he's got a right to uh, the missionaries in England. <laughs> and he's going to say, I presume the doctrine of baptism for the dead has ever reached your ears. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And may I raise some inquiries in your mind? Oh, and may have raised some inquiries in your mind respecting the same. I cannot in this letter give you all the information you may desire on the subject. But aside from 
Knowledge independent of the Bible, I would say that it was certainly practiced by the ancient churches, and St. Paul endeavors to prove the doctrine of the resurrection from the same. I first mentioned the doctrine in public when preaching the funeral sermon of Brother Seymour Brunson, and have since then been given general instructions of the church on the subject. The saints have the privilege of being baptized for those of their relatives who are dead and who they believe would have embraced the gospel if they had been privileged of hearing it and who have received the gospel in the spirit through the instrumentality of those who have been commissioned to preach to them while in prison. Without enlarging this subject, you will undoubtedly see its consistency and reasonableness, and it presents the gospel of Christ in probably a more enlarged scale than some have imagined it. Does that make sense? Okay. If you had been in Nauvoo, what would your response would have been to this? Similar to some of the changes that are happening in the last year. Love it. Yeah. And you go, well, why didn't we do this before? Suddenly it makes such sense. Okay. Uh, so imagine the excitement that says the church just did a big jump forward in terms of now, by the way. So here's the other problem that that raises. Um, this little band in Nauvoo. When it comes to missionary work, who are they responsible for? Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> now at this point, they're going, okay, I'm now responsible to preach the gospel to the living, but now I'm responsible to save my kindred dead. Now what was given to Joseph from Moroni when he got the plates suddenly begins to make sense. And I will give unto you Elijah the prophet. <laughs> suddenly, he will turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. And that begins to make sense. Okay? Alright. So let, let's take a second and look at section 124 because he's going to give us some direction on this. Let's go to. Oh, there's some great stuff in 124. Side note. Verse 12. Verily I stand you, let my servant Robert. Robert B. Thompson helped you write this proclamation. You can do some things counseling-wise. Joseph Smith said, you're working yourself too hard. Go take a break. Robert Thompson wouldn't do it. Uh, he worked for two straight years. Joseph, uh, I put it above verse 14. Robert, I want you to go and have a good spree. If you don't, you will die. Robert refused and was dead two weeks later. Okay. But let him remember his stewardship, I will require at his hands. Okay, so I've, I've got some historical things here. Uh, according to Lyman White, who's going to come to Texas. Um,
Verse 26. Think about what's in Joseph's head about needing to restore and link all of the people together. 26. Send ye swift messengers, chosen messengers, saying, Come ye with all your gold and your silver and your precious stones. 27. With iron and copper and brass and zinc. And build a house to my name for the Most High to dwell therein. For there is not a place on earth that he may come to and restore that which was lost unto you, or which he hath taken away, even the fullness of the gospel and the priesthood. There has to be a place to restore this stuff that I have in my head that I have received that I can give to you that will link you with all the prophets of history. Got to have a place. Okay, now. For instance, verse 29. For a baptismal font there is not upon the earth. For they, my saints, may be baptized for those who are dead. Well, that's not a problem. Where are we baptizing? In the river. In the river. <laughs> we got it going. <laughs> this is no problem. Okay? You go, well, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. 31. But I command you all ye my saints to build a house, and I grant unto you sufficient time to build a house unto me, and during this time your baptism shall be accepted unto me. What's he saying? All right. The river baptisms are okay until what? Till you got to get the temple and you build. So the first thing they build in the in the very east part of the of the temple lot, they found a well, and the well that they used then to go ahead and carve. First of all, the, the first baptismal font was wooden. They carved that out of stone, and it's interesting that Joseph chose then that the the what was what was he was seen and what he pictured and what was revealed to him was a was a uh, baptismal font that would look just like what? Where did the pattern come from the baptismal font? From what? The Old Testament. Yeah, from, from the Old Testament. And Solomon's temple with the, with the 12 oxen underneath. Uh, was that for baptisms in the temple of Solomon? No. What was that for? Washing, washing anointings. Well, washings. Washing to the priests to make them clean so they could perform uh, the offerings and all those kind of things. So it wasn't used for baptism, but in this they were going to grab that Old Testament image and use that. This is, this is how we're going to do baptisms for the dead, and we will put it in a font with the oxen, okay? which I think is very cool. Um, I mentioned, yeah? Why did, why did the Lord give him the information before the temple was built? If he wanted it done in the temple so much, why not just say... Then I'll give you the information. Ah! She said, well, if that's the case, if the information was coming, why give it to him before um, and then build the temple? And then when the temple's built, then I'll give it to you. Why do you think the Lord did that? Great question. To build it. Okay. It was what? To motivate them to build it. So they could get on with all of these special ordinances and activities. Do you think the saints were a little motivated to get this thing done? Oh, yeah. Well, and it was also the, see the bigger picture. I mean, look at the day where you had confidence that you didn't even have Yeah. 
No, that that no, that's a really good point. She says, think about all this thing that we've we all the the information and the knowledge and the covenants we've had, and we didn't even in a lot of these continents they didn't even have temples. So now there's like a motivation to get on the stick and and get these things built. I think there's also he's, he knew that there was going to be wisdom in giving them. All along, we're going to keep seeing that there's this graduated layer by layer kind of things as we're nailing it down. Because a lot of those river baptisms, they had to go back and redo. Because it was men for men and women for and It wasn't recorded. You know, it was just kind of haphazard. But, but it did fill them with the spirit of Elijah and joy. And it helped them through the hard times to say something very powerful and unique is happening in this place that has never happened before. Yeah? I think if they're having so many funerals... Oh, yeah. You know, sometimes... Sometimes I think uh, it's better to do something even if it's not totally 100% perfect or correct. But just to be doing something, it just it helps... And motivate it so we're moving forward to a certain piece. I think that I think that's a good point. Yeah. She said maybe the Lord wanted to see if they'd obey. I'm going to give you a taste of this and see if you'll start to run with this. Building a temple is a huge. <laughs> yeah, building the temple would be huge. Think about what it took for Kirtland. And by the way, you know, for the, a lot of these saints, they says, "Wait a minute, think Jackson County, think Far West." Every time we build a temple, we get thrown out. And there was some pushback, and certainly there was pushback in Salt Lake when Brigham says, "Hey, we're here. Here's where we're going to put the temple." And they went, "Oh no, we don't. It took us a long time to get out here. We don't want to get kicked out of town. We build a temple, we go. We don't want to do that." <coughs> I was thinking, uh, you know, the uh, attitude and the experience of all of these people that were coming from England and Canada, all over the U.S. to get to Nauvoo eventually, and they had suffered so much, they had lost so much, and yet they were so faithful, they were always believing. And this must have been just an incredibly huge spiritual, emotional, oh, yeah. intellectual experience. It must have been overwhelming. Yeah, well, and, and not only was it overwhelming in terms of that, but they it helps them begin to see the bigger picture. Joseph kept trying to see, this isn't, this isn't life on this little town on the, on the Mississippi River. We are tying into antiquity. And not only tying into them, we're, we're, we're being linked to them. Their blessings become our blessings. Their family is our family. We are part of them, and this is how we're going to do it. Okay. Oh man, there was a lot more to come. So, um, so I'll grant you sufficient time to build a house unto me, and during this time your baptism shall be acceptable. But at the end of this appointment, your baptism for the dead shall not be acceptable to me unless it's done in the temple and done with a recorder, so we make sure that we have record of it. Um, and so that's what they did. They held off. They put the wooden font in the in in the uh, unfinished. the The walls are just like up just four or five feet, and so they build a little wooden shack over the top of the baptismal font, and people are pouring in there. But now everybody's anxious to get to one font. Before we had the river. Now we got one font. <laughs> So they did that for the most part, but when they couldn't get an appointment, and they had to wait forever to get in there, they went back to doing it in the river for a while. <laughs> okay, They were just so anxious to take care of their family, which I, I think is just a beautiful concept. Okay? All right.
So, but now he's going to go, For it's ordained that in Zion and in her stakes and in Jerusalem, places which I have appointed for refuge shall be the places for your baptism for your dead. And how will your washings be acceptable to me? Where are they done washings? Kirtland. I need a place now where we can do washing. Oh, baptism for the dead and washings. Uh, 38, for this cause I commanded Moses. He should be, oh, wait, we're going to be like Moses. Oh, we're tying back in again. They should bear it in the wilderness, build a house, that these ordinance might be revealed, which has been hid from before the world was. Build the house, because not only are there going to be baptisms, not only are there going to be washings, but what else? Something else is coming. There's an additional thing coming. What? Well, we haven't revealed it yet. But it's coming. Build the building. You'll see the full picture. Wow. That's kind of cool. To build a house in the land of promise that these ordinances might be revealed therefore do your anointings, your solemn assembly, your baptism uh, your memorials for your sacrifices to the sons of Levi <laughs> what? Uh, oh your oracles for the most high places from the beginning and for the glory, honor and endowment of her municipals ordained in the ordinance of my holy house which my people have commanded to build a house <laughs> <laughs> there's like do what build the building <laughs> it's, there's great stuff coming and they had no idea what this stuff meant expand a little bit on that verse 38 there uh, before the world was sounds like a lot of these things that we accept as doctrine now were well in place as part of Christ okay so, so, say that again a little louder because you're going back to the last line of 30. Yeah, verse 38, it sounds like a lot of these things were well in place, understood by Jehovah well before the earth was even formed. That these ordinances, verse 38, might be revealed, which had been hid from when? From before the world was. So, we're going to take this covenant and the blessings and the promises, and we're going to tie into the family of Adam... And that covenant was first made where? In the pre-mortal world. Well, it had to have been. Yeah. Because that was the whole purpose of him coming to earth. Right. Us being body so that we could somehow we would have to know. Yeah. And see, isn't it interesting that those of us today in 2019, we can look at this and go, well, of course. But, you know, if, if, you're, if you're sitting in uh, Yearlam, Illinois, south of Nauvoo, and you're hearing this stuff, this is like, this is again Joseph trying to somehow say, I need you to think on a bigger scale. I know you're busy trying to plant your crops and you're trying to build a, a, a city and, and stuff. I get all of that, but I need you to think bigger. I need you to broaden your horizons. Yeah? Kind of like what's happening now, we may not understand everything we've been told to do that's new and different. 
yeah, you get a feeling that there are prophets going, no, we see a bigger picture. You've got to see this. And we're going, oh, I'm just trying to get past my calling and, and, and wiggly crawly kids in sacrament meeting. No, think bigger. Well, I think it's very interesting that in both of these times, the Lord is requesting that we do things by faith. Here is by faith. What's happening now is by faith. The, the prophet is telling us, trust me, I know, I know what's coming. Yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to prepare you. You'll like it. It'll be bigger, but they're, but they're still saying you're thinking too small. You know, uh, was it Elder Holland that was talking about if you're supposed to minister and you're seeing somebody drown, don't worry whether it's the backstroke or the breaststroke. You know, just go. <laughs> just go. Don't wait for instructions. Go serve. Think differently. And I, and I, and I think that's really kind of what jo the burden that Joseph had, uh, again, is that this stuff would open up to him. It was, he didn't have the whole program at first, but we've watched over the last semester how it would unfold layer by layer and this is opening up and he's seeing it and then he's trying to take this uh, this moment kind of like what uh, Sister Nilsson describes when she says there are times that right now that President Nilsson is waking up in the middle of the night and going oh 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 and he says sometimes she can stay in the room while he's busy jotting it down at three in the morning and sometimes he asks her to leave the room and he says, I get it now. I'm get I mean, it's just it's all opening up. And this had to be happening to Joseph constantly. But he but he couldn't do it. He couldn't they couldn't accept it. Yeah, he, he was trying to move them. Uh, and that's where some of the problems are gonna light that we're gonna come into in just a second. Okay? So kind of a so it is interesting that it's easy for us, having had the blessings of the temple and everything that is there. Uh, to see from our eyes, but you have to kind of see through the eyes of the people sitting in Nauvoo who'd never had this experience before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, poor Adam. He knew. We know he was taught it, and then somehow he forgets everything. <laughs> So then he gets back out. He has to be retaught stuff. Here's why you're doing it. Oh, well, that's right. Even though I knew it, I forgot it. Now I have to be reminded. Um, there is a, one of the, uh, I'm jumping way ahead, but there are a number of New Testament scholars that look at Jesus on the cross. And if you're translating from the Greek, what the, the sense that, that you have with Jesus when he goes... Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, where did you go? Is shock. I didn't expect Father would abandon me at this moment. And he did, and I'm lost. I don't understand why. That's a different thought than we, we normally think. And that's possible if you read the Greek. So I think there's this always this unfolding of saying the prophets don't know and they're asking questions. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? How come this is? And then you get answers. In fact, the entire church project, the entire thing that we have, started with a question. Where do I go to have my sins remitted? Okay? All right.
I just have a question about the last sentence or so, verse 38. Yeah. Those ordinances might be revealed which have been hit from before the world was. It's the language. Hid. Does that mean nobody had what we have today? In its fullness. Yeah, that's kind of the sense you get, isn't it? All right. So, let's see. I don't think I want to go there. I want to go my keynote. All right. So all of this is well and good. So let's come back for a second then. When they get, uh, when Joseph in, in uh, May of 1842 starts to do the first laying out of the endowments, and we'll come back to this in just a second. Um, but he starts laying out the first endowments, Red Big Store. And he lays out a cursory uh, ordinance about how we'll do it. We'll go from here to there, and then we'll do this and everything. Their sense was that the celestial kingdom wasn't necessarily a place. The celestial kingdom was being created on the altars of the temple in real time. You, if I'm going to seal and forge families together, the celestial kingdom has just occurred right in this spot. And they're going to walk out now part of the celestial kingdom, part of eternity. And it's, and it's happening in real time and it's being forged on the altars of the temple. Okay. Now, here's the problem with that. These are people of the 18th of the 1800s and they're very literal. They're extremely literal. For instance, if they believe that as a woman you were going to somehow be able to have eternal increase, how do you have increase in this life? Yeah, nine month gestation, then you're going to give birth from this one unless it's a multiple birth, then the baby comes out and then you start on the next one. In their mind, a, you know, in the 1800s, Orson Pratt was good on this one. If women are going to have increase in the celestial kingdom and in eternities, what's that going to look like? You have eternal pregnancy. Yes. You have a spirit baby. You you bring it to gestation. You deliver it, and then you start on the next one. <laughs> so it's kind of an eternal, you know. Because they're literal, they couldn't put it beyond that. It was just, if this is the way we do it here, that's the way it will be done there. We can't picture anything kind of beyond that. Okay, it's just the 1800s. Okay, so they're taking this idea. Now, um, so here's how they understood it. And some of this is our, our, our understanding has evolved since then. Uh, everything has now been revealed. But I just, from a doctrinal standpoint in the 1800s, I want you to see how they saw it. You need to understand that there are some terms that they use and they're all synonymous. And they will interchange them in their talks and discussion. The word marriage... In, in a religious sense, was synonymous with ceilings, 
but it was also synonymous with the word adoption. If we're going to be sealed together, that's one thing, but that then creates an adoption into what? The family of God. But you're going to have to figure out where your link is on the chain. Okay, so hold on to that one for a sec. So, marriage equals sealing equals adoption. Now, if you're not sealed to those without the gospel, so if you're married for time only, but you're married to somebody who is not part of the sealing, and actually they used to call the whole men and women who have now been sealed. You ready for this one? They called that the priesthood. One of the internet, one of the terms that they used a lot when they talked about the priesthood late in 1840s was the priesthood are those men and women who have been to the temple and sealed. Discussion for another time. But there was a sense that we're going to have to be sealed. Now, what happens if somebody is... What if you're married to somebody who's not, who hasn't received the blessings, hasn't received the endowments? What happens to you in the eternities? You're kind of lost. Yeah, there's the problem. Okay? Now, it's complicated by this. Not until 1894 did they perform priesthood ordinations for the dead. We would do baptisms for the dead, but we wouldn't do priesthood ordinations to give them the Melchizedek priesthood. Now, what does it take for a man to be sealed, to get his endowment and to be sealed? The Melchizedek priesthood. If you're not going to be ordained to the Melchizedek priesthood, you can't be sealed. Okay? Let that sit in for a sec. You got it? You marinating in that? And Joseph died before he could correct this. And that is in place for 50 years in the church. That's it. Got it? Okay. Hold on. Let me show you where this... Let, let me show you where the problem lies here. So here comes, here comes the problem with the chain and the link metaphor. If you're not, if you're doing baptisms for the dead but you're not ordaining them. And you don't want to be sealed to somebody who's not ordained because suddenly here's the chain of blessings and the family of God back to Adam and you're over here with nothing. That's the problem. What are you going to do? So, what about unmarried women? If they've got to be sealed to a Melchizedek priesthood holder who is tied into the link and the chain, how is an unmarried woman going to be exalted in the celestial kingdom? She's got to be sealed, linked, welded, forged to who? to a Melchizedek priesthood holder. And there aren't as many Melchizedek priesthood holders as there are women. Okay? You see where this is going? What about women, good women, married to non-members? 
she's a good woman. She, she deserves to be sealed, forged, adopted to a worthy Melchizedek priesthood holder and her husband is not a member. Okay? You see where this is going? Okay? And that's why it went where it went. Okay? In, uh, uh, we believe somewhere in 1835, uh, Joseph had been receiving directions to take plural wives uh, for about four years at that point. He'd been pushing back, pushing back. Finally, 1835, he finally relents. He goes to, the, uh, to a brother, Alger, and he says, I would like to take your daughter, Fanny, as, as a wife. Um, and Brother Alger says, and then he explains, I, I've been, you know, angel with a sword came and said, I've got to do this. I've been putting it off for years. <sighs> okay, so he does it. Now, there's a couple of problems with this. Problem, problem number one is that um, Emma doesn't believe it, and neither does Oliver Cowdery. And so you got pushback from Emma and Oliver. And I don't know if Emma ever believed that. Um, that's problem number one. Problem number two. This is 1835. What's going to happen in 1836? What prominent event happens in 1836 in the church, in Kirtland? The Kirtland Temple. Dedication. Who comes to the Kirtland Temple dedication? Elijah the prophet. Now it's about sealings. In other words, this first marriage to Fanny Alger was kind of, okay, I'm supposed to do this, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't have the doctrine of sealing. I don't have the doctrine of adoption. Any, any, I don't know what to do with it. Now, for that, that's the reason why it is that... Uh, um, he will marry Fanny Alger, and then he will not take another plural wife until the 1840s. When he begins to understand the sealing power, and now he's got a doctrinal pinning to say, this is what I think I'm being told to do. Okay? Um, now, let's go back here then. So, what would be the blessing then... And, and by the way, every time he tells, he tells one of the brethren, uh, Brigham Young, uh, Heber C. Kimball, their first response to the plural marriage idea is what? No. Oh, no. Not now. Not, not this. And Joseph trying desperately to, to legitimize the city and everything. Illinois has bigamy laws. You know, you could, he, they legitimately lock him up for this one, so it's got to be quiet. Okay. The other problem, of course, is Emma, who would, one day would be, all right, I guess I understand this, and the next day she goes, no, this is too much. This is way too much for me. Yeah. Are you saying then that plural marriage is practiced by the saints in Nauvoo was a mistake? No. They were supposed to be doing ceilings instead of... No, I'm saying they were the same thing in Nauvoo. Hold, hold on here. Okay? So, um, as they understood it, 
as they were kind of fulfilling this doctrine of how do we take care of the un unmarried women? First of all, we, part of how we can take them is we will have them sealed, linked, forged, adopted to a worthy Melchizedek priesthood holder. Even if he's already married. Because what's the alternative? You're lost in she's lost for eternities. And, there, and we don't see another possibility for how she's going to make it to the eternities. And not only that, she gets a chance to be sealed to a Brigham Young, to a Joseph Smith or something, to a really worthy Melchizedek priesthood holder. But Fanny was only 15. She was. She was. So that's kind of young. early to be assuming she'll never meet a righteous man in her entire life. But there was also a chance to be married to Joseph Smith. <laughs> Fanny was, I mean, that age was, was young, but it wasn't way out of line for that, that time. But no, but early to assume she is right out of options. Yes. Yeah. But, but there's nothing in polygamy that's fair <laughs> that, that I can see. Okay. And gross, grossly unfair. Joseph was directed to marry. I think Joseph, I think Fanny Alger was keeping the commandment, even though he didn't have the doctrinal understanding of what he was doing. He, the doctrinal understanding comes in Nauvoo, and now we, and away we go, okay? So first of all is this un, unmarried woman thing, okay? We're going to have a chance to marry them to good priesthood holders so that we then, they then can participate in, in the... Uh, the blessings from Adam coming forward. Now, by the way, we, do, do we believe this now? No. But this is why it was, this is why they did what they did. Okay? Now, it gets more fun, right? What about women married to non-members? Probably this, the, the uh, element that people struggle the most with all of these. Uh, Sister Moon, if somebody were to say to you, uh, I heard that Joseph Smith would marry other men's wives. How, how would you answer that? He did. Why would he do that? That just... Plural marriage is one thing. To be marrying to somebody that was already married to somebody else is, seems worse. That was marriage for eternity, though, not for time. Right. Did they That's. They what? They're not have the priesthood. Most Joseph will be will be sealed to eleven women married to other men. Yes, I understand. That, uh, two of them, one is Orson Pratt's wife, and the other one is Orson Hyde's wife. Okay. Now, come back to what we're talking about here. If if this is a chain and the power flows and the blessings and we're creating eternity, if I'm going to if I'm going to be sealed to Orson Hyde's wife, even while they're married, what have I just done for Orson and his wife? I've I've now it's adoption, where where we're seeing it as a sealing as a marriage. The the the. The view was really they had been adopted into Joseph's family, both of them, by virtue of the marriage. And they're going to be adopted now. They now get all the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you're part of Joseph's expanded family, Orson and his wife. Well, that's the and the and you think he could have he could have had Orson sealed to him. That we don't have the answer for. No, why couldn't he just be sealed to his wife? Well, and they were. 
and they were, but they were then they ended up then changing that a little bit so that now they were sealed. So now they were sealed together, but they were also then sealed to Joseph. So does the Lord really not care about all of this as much as we do? <laughs> Yes. Yes. No. And they will. And they will. The, guys, that's what I was trying to tell you. They will do this for fifty years. Oh, Brigham Young adopted John D. Lee. You know who you know perpetrated the Mountain Meadows math. He at times he said, "My name is John D. Lee Young." He see. <laughs> well, and they could have. That's why. Okay. So. I know they're thinking being very similar to you thinking that the bishop is going to give your child a better healing blessing. Oh. Oh, t let's talk about blessings. Uh, during those days, you, guess what? When Brigham Young would have kids, when Brigham Young would have kids, guess what he would do? He would take them, when the temple was completed, he took the, his child, his, the infant, to the temple, and the, and, the, and the child was washed, anointed, and then sealed to them. Okay? Now, again, the, you're, you're watching, they understood the doctrine, but, but you, you watch them kind of... They lived this doctrine about as well as they did lived the law of consecration. <laughs> Does that make sense? That, that so many of the mistakes and things that were done at this period of time had to be cleaned up and fixed and taken care of later. They had the doctrine, but not the operational direct. How do we do it? And they blew it at times. And then it would get fixed, and they would take care of it, and then it would get, you know, so you're watching all of this. So sometimes when you're looking at this history, this is really that moment when historians will say, uh, the history is a foreign country. It's a foreign, and, but you have to think what they're thinking and go, wow. That is not what we would do. It's not what the brethren would do now. But that was their limited understanding and doing the best that they could trying to save society and mankind. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Yeah, yeah, good luck. Okay, so men and women were still priests and folders like Joseph Smith so that they could be linked to... They they join that no to the Joseph Smith family, right? And they're going to and they, they they enter the family of God through Joseph, okay? And and I'll tell and okay, yeah. One more, and then we'll, we'll kind of roll here. To me, what you what you're seeing here is the formation of something. Yeah. You know, it's not handed to Joseph Smith through this. No, this, no. This. But you're seeing the growth, the learning, the development of a people. And then you're seeing Joseph taken from their midst in 1844, right when they're in the middle of putting this together. And the Brethren of the Twelve trying to figure it out and trying to take it from there. We look at this as being so foreign, but what about the changes we are experiencing now? Why didn't this happen 50 yeah. years ago? Why didn't he put us into it? What was the deal with caffeinated drinks? <laughs> Tons of things that we're changing right now. Yeah. May I give a quick testimony? Yeah. yeah. Real fast. I joined the church this been 12 years ago. And one of the things that nearly drove me out of the church was this question of polygamy. Yeah, right. And 
the I couldn't find anything other than what was on the bad things. <laughs> on, the, on the bad websites. <laughs> so that I got caught up in all of this. Yeah, situation. right. I had a dream up in Colorado that it, it, it wasn't a, it was a dream, but it was so real that God revealed to me. He said, who are you to judge what was in the hearts of these people at that time? Wow. And, and it wow. ended up because I couldn't believe Joseph was a prophet if he was, if he was doing these stuff, right? Right. So that I, I was being a judge. I, all I know is that every, every uh, sister that was interviewed under uh, depositions and things, both at the Smoot hearings in the, the turn of the century for Senator Smoot that was going to be a senator, and even dis depositions, uh, always, if you read their depositions, they'll, they'll always say, plural marriage was an Abrahamic test for us. It wasn't ideal, it was painful, but it was an Abrahamic test. It's not what, what we would have preferred. And I, don't, I just can't even imagine what a, what a test that must have been. Yeah? Can I, can I uh, ask a question? Can I get a question and comments? So when, when you explain to about those problems, I, I keep thinking about this very similar to the leading proxy. It seems like they do through those people as proxy, like, uh, you know, the priesthood holder be the proxy for those non-member husband. But I, I don't know if you know what I mean. It's kind of, uh, we are the proxy to do the for the death. But uh, what they do seems like to me is finding the living person to be the proxy for another oh, person. Oh, you're thinking that at that moment there might have been almost like a living proxy yeah, for the living as opposed yes, to living. Oh, okay. Ah. I, I do have a question. Is I This is always uh, kind of similar to that sister's question. And ever since I joined the church, I try not to touch this part uh, using my faith because... Yeah. Uh, I hope you forgive me. I, I really want to ask this question today. So, my because this this the term of proxy came into my mind. What I want to know is how, what is the level of the proxy those people do in this kind of linkage? Because, for example, I'm the proxy to do all this uh, the the seating for my ancestors, but I never live with them. I never. You never. You were never with them, right? I really never in, uh, physically enter this relationship, but I spiritually enter this relationship for them. But uh, what about back in the Joseph Smith that time? If if we use this proxy concept to see this relation, to what to see what they try to do, what I want to know is on the historical fact, how much they've been involved, <coughs> except to get the ordinances done. Ah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Hang on to that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk after. Yeah, because that's, yes. that, that, that's a complicated one. But yeah. have absolutely no idea what does I know. She and I are going to talk after. <laughs> okay. So, so, but let me get you one more. Because remember, there was another piece here. There was another piece. Let me go back. 
So we're not so that we are doing baptisms for the dead, but we're not doing ordinances, ordinations for the dead. What does that mean for and, and what one of the reasons why they wouldn't do that is you're not going to ordain somebody if you don't know that they're going to accept. It's like, how am I going to ordain your great grandfather if I don't know if he'd accept the gospel? He might not want it. So unless we know that they would want the priesthood, we're not going to ordain them. Because it, there has to be a, uh, we have to accept the ordinance. And, and we don't know whether they will or not. So we won't. So if they're not going to, if we don't, if we're not going to ordain the dead, we baptize them, bring them into the body of Christ, but there has to be acceptance to get the ordinance up. So who are they going to, how are you going to be sealed to? You got to do it to somebody, a Joseph Smith, a Brigham Young, a Heber C. Kimball, uh, and and so this is why it is, uh, and I and I, I quoted this last year, that. Uh, uh, okay. Okay. This is why in 1894, Wilford Woodruff has one of the great revelations that you don't, you haven't heard of. Maybe you have. And he stands up in general conference and he says, for 50 years we have been doing this wrong. And I have had a revelation to fix it. We have not fully carried out the principles and fulfillment of the revelations of God to us in sealing the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the father. I have not been satisfied. Neither did President Taylor. Neither has any man since Prophet Joseph who has attended to this ordinance of adoption into the temples of our God where we're going to adopt our family to Brigham Young or we're going to adopt our family to Heber C. Kimball. We have felt there was more to be revealed upon the subject than we have received. I have prayed over this matter, and my brethren have. We have felt, as President Taylor said, that we have got to have more revelation concerning sealing under the law of adoption. This doesn't make sense. Well, what are the changes? One of them is the principle of adoption. In the commencement of adopting men and women in the temple at Nauvoo, a great many persons were adopted to different men who were not of the lineage of their fathers. And there was a spirit manifested by some in the work that it was not of God. Why would I want to be adopted to you when I could be adopted to Joseph Smith? That I, I realize that you were adopted to Brigham Young, but I was adopted to Joseph Smith. And technically, I could be adopted to you, but you're not even in the Quorum of the Twelve. I want to have it. I want to be adopted to a Quorum of the Twelve member. That's got to put me higher up on the on the on the heaven list to be part of the apostle adoptions, not the normal people adoptions. So there was like a prideful kind of thing. Well, I don't want to be adopted. Orson Pratt was like third in line. I want Joseph Smith. I want two rungs up. 
There were a great many persons who were adopted. Uh, uh, there was a spirit manifested by some in this work that it was not of God. President Young was not satisfied in his mind with regard to this matter. President Taylor was not. When I went before the Lord to know who I should be adopted to, we were then being adopted to prophets or apostles. Well, of course, you don't want the common people. You want prophets and apostles. The Spirit of the Lord said to me, Have you not a father who begot you? Yes, I have. Then why not honor him? Why not be adopted to him? Yes, says I, that is right. Yeah, why wouldn't I be adopted to my dad? I was adopted to my father and should have my father sealed to his father and so back. And the duty that I want every man who presides over a temple to see performed from this day henceforth and forever, unless the Lord Almighty commands otherwise, let every man be adopted to his father. And the earth shifts after 50 years from Nauvoo. They finally clean this up. Which means they would then have to then say, now we have to go back. We've done not just their baptism for the dead, but now what we, must we do? Ordain them to the Melchizedek priesthood. So the question came up from these guys. How do we know if these guys will accept the priesthood? And it was Wilford Woodruff who said, "There, and this is almost a direct quote, there will be few, if any, who reject the gospel. That is a landmark. Think, think about what I just said. Think about when we look at the three degrees of glory and the understanding that was in 1832. That is a doctrinal landmark moment when the prophet says there will be few, if any, that reject the gospel. Meaning exaltation. Meaning there will be few, if any, that reject being in the celestial kingdom. That whatever time they may spend in the other kingdoms are preparation to move them forward. There will be few, if any. That this uh, this uh, there's a couple of places you can find this. If you just go to Google and thumb them, and put in Wilford Woodruff 1894 Revelation, I know you'll get it. Uh, but there's a new book out, uh, Sandra. I think I got it from you on uh, the Wilford Woodruff uh, Revelation Brown book. It's beautiful. Uh, they they it's since it's, it's recent. But I think if you go to 1894, I got this out of that book. Yeah. I was just wondering, um, yes, there will be few, if any. In other words, those that want that, that if I put you, let's say that you struggled in this life, and I put you in the next world, and I give Jesus a million years to work on you. <laughs> to, to kind of quote C.S. Lewis. Is he going to get you to the celestial kingdom? He wants you home. And he is relentless, and he is loving, and he is powerful. He will get, he will get you to the point where you, you will live life with him. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I think uh, we need to clarify that once you are judged in the final judgment and go to a level of exaltation, 
you don't progress from here. That's what we used to believe. That, 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 that understanding has kind of evolved a bit. That Joseph, uh, Joseph Fielding and, and Spencer Kimball used to teach that once you got to, like, to the terrestrial kingdom, you'd never move. After the, after the final judgment, and, and, and I can give you a handful of things more recent to that saying that, that we kind of now believe that they do. It's kind of cool. It's, 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 it's one of those evolving doctrines, but uh, Bruce R. McConkie was in that, in that little group as well. So, yeah. I think I, at the beginning of this lesson, I'm thinking, oh, isn't it great we finally got it right? And now I'm thinking, we have a lot more responsibility now. Uh, before, we were making people that, so you were, as you were saying, people were making a judgment about whether or not their ancestors were, were worthy enough to be adopted or whatever you want to call it to them. And now we're being told you are to be adopted to your father. In other words, you have the responsibility now to go out and seek out your ancestors and get this done. Yeah, because the, the idea, it, we do have a responsibility to go get to our ancestors and get them because the, our, our belief is they will accept under the right, you know, give them long enough. That's what the spirit world is about. Yeah. There's a great emotional last night, the worldwide emotional. Yeah. By brother and sister Renland, that I think will really help you as you have young people who have questions about this. It was just, it, it helped me as an old person, and but it was for the youth. It's fabulous. Okay. All right. Uh, hold on. Let me go over here and then we will wrap up. Yeah. Um, the series tells us what's important is that people are still. It doesn't matter if you yeah, I don't think we're quite as we're not quite as literal these days. The ceilings need to take place. Like a lot of times in my office, I will hear people say, "We're getting a divorce." What does that mean to the kids that were sealed to us? And it's still picturing this. Oh my gosh, if we break this this welding link between us, our kids go drifting off into space somehow because they're not they're no longer linked. You're right, and uh, the the brethren are saying no. The sealing has taken place. You are sealed to the family of God, and it's not as literal as as the chain and the link and the nodes and the weldings as they were picturing in the in the 1800s. Sealing is a an ordinance that needs to be take to take place when kids are born under the covenant even if they're if their parents divorce it doesn't leave them spinning they are sealed in the in the kingdom well they right but for 50 years they did yeah. for 50 years it's like oh my gosh we could we could be lost and so sometimes I think that carries forward so um, all right yeah yeah what we can't hear what they're saying. Oh, oh, oh. Which part did you miss? <laughs> she just said, she's talking about the, the devotional last devotional night. Last night. How do we see what uh, can we? Oh, uh, well, the, I, I imagine they're going to put that devotional on. Uh, it's already up. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to hear it, so I, so I don't know. Okay, now. So, so, let, so let me finish because I sense, I sense a spirit of disquiet <laughs> that, that there are we, we, had a, we had a wonderful uh, fireside on Sunday night, I'll finish with this a wonderful fireside on uh, Saturday night with uh, Brother McBride who, was, who helped write uh, the book Saints uh, and, and is a church, church history department and uh, was part of the Joseph Smith Papers kind of thing um, 
and and part of he uh, part of what he said was um, that the the history of this church started with a question. And that sometimes we have taken things in the church and he says we've kind of segmented them and we kind of quarantine them off. Like, let's talk about the gospel. Woo, that polygamy thing is a, is a hot potato. Let's not talk about that one. Or, I love, the, I love the, the early saints in Utah, but don't talk to me about the Mountain Meadows Massacre. That's another nasty thing. And we'll just quarantine it. We don't want to talk about it. And he says, but it's part of our history, but there, are, but there are ways that we can incorporate even the more difficult aspects of our history if we look for those opportunities to integrate them into uh, like the incredible, uh, sacri- the horrible Abrahamic sacrifice required of women to live polygamy. I, again, just staggering to me what that would have required. Uh, but, to, but rather than quarantine them out, we see them as part of the entire picture. That and some of it is simply the fact that good brothers and sisters did the best they knew how to do, and sometimes they got it right, and sometimes they had the doctrine right, but the application was messed up. And that over time the church corrected itself, and that more revelation came to resolve things. And certainly we're seeing some of that happening with the church at the moment where President Nelson is trying to look at some things and saying, we could tweak this, we can change this, we can make changes where it doesn't seem to work for us the way that it needs to. And I think that that's certainly true with Nauvoo doctrinal kind of things that uh, this doctrine this doctrine will get Joseph killed. That, that and masonry, and I was going to get into masonry, we'll do that next week. Uh, but there are some doctrines here that ultimately result in his death. And he knew it, and he knew that that was a real possibility, and he, and he chose to be obedient over that, over, which is just amazing to me. So my, my testimony, I guess, is that our church history is not is not all sunshine and lollipops. <laughs> it, there, there were some incredible struggles and they did the best they had with the knowledge they had and sometimes the way it was applied was just a mess. And then it would get fixed over time but that would require incredible sacrifices on the part of those that had to live it. And I, I just, again, I just have such incredible love and respect for Joseph and these brothers and sisters that tried to figure out how to do this. Um, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh dear Father in heaven, we're grateful for our many blessings. We pray that we can be in tune with the Holy Spirit so that we can learn those things in each of us individually. So that we can move forward in our lives and have peace <coughs> in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you and thank you for this opportunity to learn in the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that wasn't a can of worms. That was a whole lot of worms.